0: Welcome to the Refuge Recovery Podcast. Refuge Recovery is a worldwide community of people who are using the practices of mindfulness, compassion, forgiveness, and generosity to heal the pain and suffering that addiction has caused in our lives and the lives of our loved ones. This podcast is for all those interested in and all those already practicing Refuge Recovery to find freedom from addiction of all kinds. To support this podcast and your Refuge Recovery, please donate using the link in the show notes.
1: So we'll begin with a period of sitting meditation. We'll sit for about 30 minutes. Uh, just before we do that, I'll say that, um, well, you know, again, welcome everybody who just tuned in. And, um, you know, this is not a refuge recovery meeting, this is an offering um, from uh, World Services. Uh, it's a teacher led, uh, now somebody's saying they can't hear me. <laughs> uh, I don't know what to do. I, I can hear you perfect. I think yeah. you sound perfect, man. Some people can hear. I mean, maybe somebody's. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Well, anyways, I uh, I'm getting mixed messages about the sound, and I apologize for our uh, technical difficulties. Um, forgot what I was saying. Oh, just clarifying that, uh, you know, Refuge Recovery, the way that I created it was for the meetings to be peer-led. So there's no teachers in Refuge Recovery meetings. Even if you are a teacher like myself in a Refuge Recovery meeting, we don't play that role. It's, it's really, we're, we're there to support each other. Um, but as a whole, you know, intention from the beginning uh, of, of Refuge is to also have teacher-led opportunities like coming on meditation retreats or classes like this where you can um, actually um, get the uh, experience of sitting with a qualified dharma teacher uh, that understands our program. So although uh, there's only a short list of those so far, maybe at some point there will be more refuge uh, qualified dharma teachers. Um, So just everybody knows that I've, I've gotten some feedback over the over the months of people saying like, yeah, I'm coming to that meeting uh, that you do on Thursday. I'm like, it's not a, not a meeting. <laughs> uh, it is, you know, just, I think it's important for us to clarify that meetings are peer led. This is a little bit different, not a peer led, it's a teacher led offering, so. That's all I wanted to say about that. Welcome again and find a way to sit upright, relaxed. We'll start with a period of meditation. And um, you know, we're going to talk about inventory tonight, and I'm going to uh, lead some reflections on inventory. And um, and I just want to you know, put this in the context of, of mindfulness. It is, it is a practice of mindfulness to investigate. And sometimes we get a a mistaken message that that mindfulness is only um, a sort of detached observation of what's happening rather than an engaged participation and investigation of our body and heart and mind. And so my sense that the, um, you know, the whole inventory, and we'll talk about it, uh, is about investigating bringing mindfulness to what we're holding you know what our past experience has been in addiction what our present experience uh, is what the memories and the uh, regrets and uh, that we're holding around our history of addiction and 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 just our our lives and um, in the So on some level, I see the investigation and the inventories as a practice of the third foundation, what's in your mind, you know, and uh, what's in your mind about your past, what are you holding on to, what are you remembering, what are you, what's there? And then in the um, fourth foundation of mindfulness, the Buddha says that there are uh, seven, uh, factor seven qualities of awakening and these necessary uh, experiences of awakening. And one of them is investigation. It's, a, it's an enlightenment factor, the more that we investigate and turn towards and see clearly the truth about our mind and our heart and our human experience, our past, our present, our tendency to spend a lot of time thinking about the future. Uh, that this quality of investigation and inventory is uh, very much in line with what the Buddha was, was uh, guiding us as far as the path to, to awakening. Um, and I understand that a lot of people have gotten some different messages from different Buddhist traditions and different Buddhist teachers about mindfulness just being uh, this kind of watching, you know, observing, detached, you know, Uh, And and even sometimes we get a, I'm probably guilty of it too, um, you know, in in refuge and I've often talked about breaking our addiction to the mind and then uh, often people think about, oh well if I'm not uh, addicted to my mind then I can't actually use it to reflect and think and analyze But it's so much of what we're doing and so much of what happens in meditation and mindfulness practice is that we develop the discernment of being able to use the mind, to train the mind, to see more clearly and have the discernment of like, oh, this is worthy of investigation. I really need to look at these thought patterns. I need to look at uh, and investigate my relationship to the substances, to the behaviors, to money, sex, power, karma, uh, speech, action, livelihood, all of it is a uh, investigation that we do very thoroughly. And I ask all of us to do very thoroughly in the Refuge Recovery inventories, the first and second truth inventories. So just as a setup for the, uh, how it fits with our meditation practice, it is an aspect of mindfulness for sure. So again, finding a way to sit and establishing a upright and relaxed posture. As you're ready, allowing your eyes to be closed. Taking a moment to soften, to relax, release any unnecessary tension that you can. Eyes gently closed, jaw not clenched, unclenched. Where is your tongue? Is it resting in the palate of your mouth or pressed against the top of your mouth? Relax the shoulders and neck if you can. Release tension, soften. It can be a feeling or an image of the skeleton, the upright spine, the bones stacked, the skeleton upright, but the flesh of the body, the musculature hanging loosely around the skeleton. Sometimes the image is used of uh, a pole draped by a scarf and cloth, and that the body's just hanging loosely around the skeleton. So find a posture that allows you to have this upright yet relaxed position. And try to allow the breath to come and go naturally without controlling it, just body breathing all by itself. We bring mindfulness, present time, non-judgmental, investigative awareness into the body. We receive the sensations that the breath creates. Mindfulness of the breath as the anchor initial foundation practice and if it feels like you're controlling the breath rather than allowing the breath to breathe you that's okay don't judge it just pay attention to the breath even if it feels like there's a lot of agency in it that's okay Breathing in, one knows, I breathe in. Breathing out, one knows, I breathe out. So disengaging from the plans and memories that would take us away from the awareness of the breath, giving our full attention. to half a breath at a time, just breathing in. Just breathing out. When we notice tension creeping back into the jaw or the belly, as you exhale, soften the jaw, release the tightness in the stomach. As much as you can, bring an attitude of friendliness, of kindness, compassion. This inner attitude of patience with the mind, however, however many times it seduces us into thinking about something, future, past. Friendly relationship to the thinking mind, come back to the breath, disengage and re engage with the present time embodied experience over and over, but with a intention of kindness. Having spent a few minutes getting present in the body, mindfulness of the breath, become more inclusive, not just the breath, but feel the posture, body sitting here upright, again softening any places that can be softened. Becoming aware of this body as the four elements. Becoming aware of the impermanent nature of all of the sensations that arise, each breath. Coming and going, every sensation arising, sustaining and passing. including the sense doors, sound, present time, non-judgmental, investigative awareness of sound, both internal, perhaps you can tune into the ringing in the ears, the sound of your own breath, of your own heartbeat, as well as external. Sounds in the room, outside the buildings, here in, all the way into the distance. smelling and tasting, seeing, investigating your body, your sense stores. what's happening right now, what's being experienced, perceived, felt. How do you experience the elements, the air element? The earth element. The heat element, temperature. and the water element investigating this human body with these sensors made up of these four elements. And opening to the mind itself rather than ignoring the mind, our thinking mind, thoughts of future and past and present, memories, the fantasies, the hopes and fears of the mind itself as an object of your non-judgmental, kind, investigative awareness. Sometimes we can get a sense of thoughts arising and passing like bubbles, to make room for all of it, the sensations, the sounds, the thoughts. How even a sound turns into a story. You hear the sound and you name it motorcycle. Some stories start to arise about motorcycles. This bubble that proliferates memories. Desires, judgments, fears, born out of a sound. My dharma teacher, uh, John Amaro, encourages a relationship to the mind through mindfulness that is unentangled participation, not detached observation, but participating with our thoughts in a way that's not entangled or too identified, not taking it too personally, tangled up in the I, me, mine. Even as we reflect on our own lives, some of the memories like these old stories, these experiences, even the big traumas, We don't have to be so entangled in them. Mindfulness will give us this space. to know these are memories. These are thoughts and emotions arising and passing through consciousness. So some reflections, investigations on the first truth, the suffering of addiction Reflect, intentionally engage your mind in this meditative state, investigating the suffering that addiction has caused in your life. Reflecting on, meditating on the stress that is created by craving. Allowing yourself to remember as we do in the inventory. Whether it's a bit distant or a bit more current. What suffering there is in this craving for more, craving for permanence. Craving for oblivion. Rather than trying to create memories, just see what arises. Say in your mind, craving. See what the mind recalls, gives birth to. the suffering of craving of our lives. And of course, even in recovery, that repetitive craving continues taking new objects, Reflecting on dissatisfaction, the suffering of never being quite satisfied, never quite enough, never quite good enough, not lasting long enough. Again, just seeing what arises in your mind around dissatisfaction Did these cravings, this dissatisfaction, lead to dishonesty? Did we lie and steal, omit the truth, minimize, exaggerate? We all have, to some extent or another, taking what wasn't freely offered. Investigating the reality of all of the times that we haven't been ethical, honest. And perhaps the regret or shame, guilt, karma that we created. Did you suffer, or did you continue to suffer from a feeling of unworthiness? Did this confusion about our worth begin before the addictive behaviors? Or was it the addictive behaviors that led to This self-doubt, this feeling of unworthiness. How much has fear controlled us? How much of what we say and do is controlled by a fear? Both. In active addiction, fear of consequences of getting caught, and even in recovery, fear of not being accepted, loved, seen, appreciated. How much of the pain in our lives was covered by anger, resentment. Just reflecting, asking yourself these Questions, investigating, turning towards, even if it's really uncomfortable, painful, difficult. This is the good kind of difficulty, the good kind of discomfort. It's the kind that sets us free. Not making anything up, just turning towards the truth of our heart, our mind, our past, our present. reflecting on all of the harm that we've caused as addicts as humans the people we've hurt the ways we've hurt ourselves with a healthy sense of regret not not shame not the confused idea that we're bad or broken or anything like that. Just we've been unskillful. We didn't know how to hold our pain. We spilled it out onto others. We turned it inward, hurt ourselves. Often becoming a feeling of isolation, of separateness, of aloneness. Perhaps even creating the story that we don't need anyone. Then it's not safe to be connected, to be intimate, to be vulnerable. fear of getting hurt again, turning into a life of isolation, disconnection. How much as our self centeredness turned into feelings of being less than, inferior, beneath others, comparing mind. Or the flip side self centeredness of inflation, of superiority, entitlement. How often does our mind lie to us and tell us that we can't be happy until we satisfy some craving or another? This is the suffering of addiction. suffering of the human condition. Turning towards all of these reflections, investigations with as much compassion as you can, as much mercy and empathy for the pain of our lives as we can muster in this moment, even if it's just an intention. Even if you can't do it yet, it's the intention to be friendly and kind and compassionate and forgiving to this suffering we've all experienced. And saying to yourself, I forgive you as much as I can in this moment. I forgive you as much as I can in this moment for all of the years of addiction The confusion, the suffering. And then ending with a little bit of gratitude towards yourself for the hard work of recovery. The willingness to be uncomfortable, to turn towards, to Heal, to forgive. For all of the service you do, the ways that you help other people, if you've started doing that. Gratitude just for staying on the path today. Are showing up for your own recovery. And when you're ready, you can allow your eyes to be open and bring attention back to the space that you're in. Before I jump into talking about uh, this practice and inventory, just take a minute to uh, reflect what the fuck just happened (laughs) in your mind, in your heart. Can sometimes be a good idea also to have like a meditation journal because some of what we learn after we do a meditation is by reflecting on, on it and just kind of investigating like, oh, there was this stuff that came up that I'm very familiar with or that I was a little bit surprising to me. Sometimes it's worth after meditating to take a moment to jot down some of the reflections that you just had. And those were just some reflections on the first truth inventory. I guess we'll have to do the next, uh, the second truth next next month. <laughs> um, I'm just turning towards the reality of suffering in our lives. This is the Buddha's first noble truth. It's the first truth of refuge recovery. It's the foundation that we cannot skip. Um, We can't go back into denial. We can't uh, just ignore all of the pain of our life and think it's gonna magically go away. Uh, It's by turning towards it, seeing it clearly, reflecting on it, writing the inventories about it, uh, that we have the opportunity to heal, to really uh, focus uh, what needs compassion. You know, we develop the compassion and then we be able to bring the mercy and the compassion and the forgiveness that we learn through these practices towards all of this pain, um, the suffering. And as you see, I mean, I know it's obvious, uh, you know, in refuge we say, you know, addiction creates suffering, but you see a lot of this suffering uh, of our life has nothing to do with addiction. <laughs> It's really just human, ordinary, uh, the human condition. Um, and, you know, this is, uh, we addicts have an extreme experience. We have a, a an even more imbalanced, uh, relationship to craving and to self-centeredness and to, um, you know, which we investigate in the second noble second factor. Um, But the reality is everyone has craving, you know, repetitive craving is the norm for all beings, all humans. And self-centeredness is the norm. That's one of the things that I love about Buddhism that I didn't like so much about some of the other recovery approaches, where rather than uh, a kind of some, some level of blame and, and like language around imperfections and defects and shortcomings and all of this stuff, the Buddha just normalizes all of this stuff. Uh, and there, there's no sin in it, and there's no judgment in it, and there's no you're not broken, you're not defective. You just fucking took birth in a body that has repetitive craving. And, you know, and then you had some wounds that made it even more intense, more pain to want to medicate and escape from and, you know, uh, something, Uh, or, you know, maybe, maybe genetic, you know, there is, you know, People think, you know, it's just some of us are just born addicts. Maybe that's the case. I'm not uh, sure. But as we do these inventories and we look at it, it's so important to have this foundational understanding that although we are, it's this um, contradiction. I think it's a contradiction in some way, maybe it's not. But the we are totally responsible for all of our intentional actions, total personal responsibility. And a lot of it's not really your fault. <laughs> and not your fault, not that personal, not that, uh, isn't to be used as a cop out or a kind of like, well, it's not my fault, so I don't gotta make amends for all of the harm I caused. Nope, totally responsible for all of the harm we cause to ourselves and to each other. But this normalizing thing that the Dharma does that the Buddha uh, offers us that we're trying to do here in refuge, um, which is that the craving, the fact that you had craving and self-centeredness and fear and uh, unworthiness and doubt, not your fault. You didn't, you know, not our fault. We didn't do that on purpose. Um, But we are accountable for our intentional actions. And now we have this incredible opportunity and some of you have been at it for years and decades Uh, Some of you are newer to it and this incredible opportunity to turn towards, see clearly and start to learn how to respond more wisely. And of course the the foundation for us is like abstinence. First we have to stop using drugs, alcohol. We all have to stop using drugs and alcohol. (laughs) even if you're not a drug addict or an alcoholic, right? For this path to really work, abstinence. But then, you know, the bottom line behaviors around process addictions and... We have this opportunity to truly heal, to truly uh, get free, to really learn how to care about our own pain and the pain of others, what we call compassion. It starts with tolerance and leads to mercy and culminates in, in an ability to have compassion for ourselves and each other. True compassion. True compassion has no attachment to an outcome, and we learn to have non-attachment. And still enjoy all of the wonderful experiences, the healthy, appropriate, wonderful experiences that life uh, affords without suffering about them, the clinging that causes suffering. So, you know, you know where we're going, right? We're going to recovery, we're going to freedom, we're going to, uh, and we get there. And I know it's a little heavy, <laughs> we get there by starting with looking at all of the pain and doing these intense inventories of, of our lives, of our minds by investigating uh, and, um, and I, I, you know, a lot of this, like we're doing in the meditation tonight, uh, I'd imagine a lot of those thoughts and feelings come up naturally when you're meditating, your mind says, "Hey." Unworthiness over here. Remember, remember, you're a piece of shit. Don't forget that. <laughs> or your mind says, "Hey, remember all of the people you hurt, uh, or you know how much violence, or how much you know, how much fear you're you've been in your whole life. How anxious." How- so a lot of this stuff comes up even when we don't ask it the questions and we don't intentionally reflect on it. This is just my experience of meditation is that my mind just uh, loves to remind me of all of the ways that I have suffered and um, and all of the you know ways that I've responded unskillfully to my pain, to the world. But... In Refuge, we ask you to not just sit with it in meditation. And this is where, you know, what Refuge is doing as a recovery program is a little bit different than uh, you'd normally find in a Buddhist uh, community, Uh, is that we're asking you to write it down. Not just acknowledge it in your mind as it arises and passes, but to put it down on paper do the inventory, write it all down, and then also share it with someone else. In traditional Buddhism, in the like monasteries, there's this ongoing regularly scheduled sort of confession that they do where they, they share everything you know, uh, with each other. And there's, there's an intimacy and there's this uh, sort of like, let me share with you. And then this offering of forgiveness that happens And so when I was creating Refuge, I was like, we need, and and from the big influence I had from the 12 steps, we need something like this, this inventory, writing it down and sharing it with another person um, to get it out of our heads, to get out of like holding on to our secrets and holding on to our pain and starting to share it with each other and normalizing it. And um, there's so much freedom that comes from, from this process. I'm aware that uh, I'm aware that it's a lot, and that some people uh, have feelings about it not being um, trauma informed, that it not being um, not being all that gentle. And you know, there's this whole. I think, I, I guess, I understand, but I think it's a little strange this whole thing, like around in people going to treatment and go at like in early recovery of like, hey, let's not. Talk about anything really real because it might upset you and you might, you know, want to relapse if you have to be uncomfortable. (laughs) Um, And this is kind of like, you know, you'll, you'll get to that later. But how often do people never get to it? When's later? How often, uh, you know, are people staying, maybe like even staying sober for a while, but never actually doing that deep internal turning towards and healing. I mean, Refuge has lots of people who come over from other recovery uh, programs who said, you know, I've never, never did this work. I stayed sober for 20 years, but I never really healed these underlying conditions and where we start. You know, it's like, this is where the Buddha starts his teachings. So this is where we start our uh, process of, of recovering and healing in, in refuge. So um, I think you, know what I mean uh, I'm, I'm curious I don't know if there's really a way but I am I'm curious how many people have uh, and you don't need to answer this but it's a rhetorical question of how many people have completed these inventories and um, and if you haven't what are you waiting for <laughs> um, you know in the book I, I did say You know, maybe for the first couple of months, you come to refuge, you go to lots of meetings, you connect with the Sangha, Um, you start your meditation practice right away and after a week or so start alternating the mindfulness with the forgiveness practices. My sense was, um, okay, a couple months of doing your meditation, doing your forgiveness, connecting with each other, then dive into the inventory get a mentor, you know, and and dive into the, the, the inventory. Um, I'm not sure that people need to do this on day one, but I wouldn't wait past a couple of months to, to start doing this um, to, you know. And some people, I, I certainly have met people who said, I did it on day one and i you know, great, you know, like if you're ready, if you're here and you're desperate and you're willing and you're, you know, fine, there's no prohibition about starting your inventory earlier or, um, but if you have been around for months or years and you haven't done it, uh, such a huge uh, encouragement to do it um, for just to see what you can learn from the inventory for yourself, your own recovery. And then also the ability to um, pass it on, right? We don't wanna uh, ask people to do something that we haven't done. So, um, you know, do it just, maybe you do it just for others. <laughs> do it so that you can pass it on to others. And, um, you know, there, there was a thing for a, a while, and I, I guess it's maybe still happening, is um, that uh, people were feeling like, uh, even though I've been, In recovery for some time I haven't done the inventory so I can't mentor and uh, you know so uh, this this year we said like hey let's just uh, say if you're working on your inventory if you've started it if you started working on it then you can start mentoring someone else and maybe two people who are both working on their inventories can support each other in that process because we need more mentors and it's such an important part of the program to be of service and to help each other and so you know kind of get this inventory going for your own practice process recovery and then also so that you can help uh, the new person and you uh, get going on theirs so I mean I can jump into some of the inventory questions but Uh, maybe that's enough. We're an hour in. How about some Q&A about, you know, questions about the inventory, questions about this sort of reflection uh, type of meditation, um, where we're actually engaging the mind and reflecting on this first truth. Um, So if you want to ask a question, you can raise your hand. There's a little raise hand thing down in the bottom Bar, I believe, or maybe even in your square under the dots. I don't, I don't know. Um, or if you don't want to speak out loud, your question, you can put your question in the chat and I can read it. So let's maybe we'll go another fifteen or twenty minutes. Um, if you got to run, I know this maybe was it scheduled for one hour, Joseph? It was. Yeah. Okay. Well, I. I forgot to change that. That will actually go a little over an hour so that we can have a bit more interaction. Um, but if you need to go, we understand and we'll see you next time. Uh, Jerome, go ahead and unmute yourself and jump in.
2: Oh. Uh, Oh, Hey, I'm already in Can you hear me? Yes. Can you hear? Okay, good. Uh, Noah, Hey, I'm so happy. I uh, ran into this just happenstance on the internet that you're going to be doing this tonight and I said, yeah, I, I should really tune in. Um, So I'm new, I'm starting out. And I've started my inventory. Um, It's a lot of questions. <laughs> but it's going to be worth it, I feel. But how long do you think that the answer should be? And do you have any recommendations for like, early, I mean, early meditation, I know you focus on your breath, try to disconnect from thoughts and all that stuff. But then you talk about other concentration meditations. So I was just wondering just the best way for like a beginner to start doing this.
1: Yeah, for sure. Are you coming to refuge meetings already?
2: Um, This is like my third one. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. it's, yeah.
1: So, I mean, it, it, when you come to the refuge meetings, you'll see, you'll get, you'll learn a lot of different techniques from coming to the meetings because they're sort of like randomly you'll get mindfulness in this meeting and loving kindness in this meeting and forgiveness in this. So you'll, you'll start to, by coming to the meetings and meditating together, you'll get more and more instructions that way. Uh, the, the suggestion is to alternate mindfulness, like a simple mindfulness of the breath and body with forgiveness practice. So let's say Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you sit for 20 minutes on your own um, and you do a mindfulness of the breath body. You'll, you'll build some concentration by doing that. You'll find some relief in that mindfulness practice. It will lead to some wisdom, but then Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, um, do forgiveness practice, you know, start saying the forgiveness phrases to yourself, uh, asking for forgiveness, offering forgiveness so that, um, we're building both the wisdom that mindfulness leads to, as well as the, the heart, uh, development, the compassion, the forgiveness that that forgiveness practice will facilitate in us. Okay. Make sense? Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah well, it does. It does. Yeah, it's nice to meet you.
2: You too. Bye-bye.
1: I see. There's some um, comments in the chat about. There's a, a directory to the meetings. There's uh, people looking for mentors, looking to to connect. You know, this is. I'm I'm also very happy to use these Thursdays to encourage people to um, you know start meetings, to be of service, to um, you know this this thing. If there's if there's not already. Uh, I know we're still in the middle of a pandemic and there's not that many in-person meetings happening, but if there's not online meetings in your area or, you know, in your time, you know, that's good. This, uh, you know, this is really a a movement of uh, community and community organizing. So if you're interested in starting meetings, you know, go to the website, reach out to us. Um, If you're going to meetings that, uh, don't have group reps, you know, like uh, phone list people, uh, mentorship announcements, all of that stuff, get involved, be of service. Dylan, go ahead, unmute yourself. Thank you.
0: Thank you for the meditation. And it's very good to meet you. Um, I guess my question is just, uh, you know, I've studied Buddhism and for a little while and there's all this talk of like nirvana and whatnot and like the end of suffering so and what i like about refuge is that it has a very grounded perspective on these kind of things so i'm wondering if you could give us some insight on where all of this will lead like um, all this kind of suffering that we come up on reflecting on our own minds is there an end to suffering is is that what this path is about thank you
1: You're welcome. And nice, nice to meet you, Dylan. Welcome. Um, I mean, the simple answer is yes, that is what this path is about. Ending, you know, but there's, there's levels of it. Certainly we can end this that extra layer of suffering that addiction creates in our lives for sure. Of maintaining abstinence, you know, uh, stop lying and stealing and cheating. And like, there's a level of suffering that will, go away (laughs) when you get into recovery and stay in recovery. Um, The ultimate third noble truth, uh, enlightenment. I don't know, I still have, I I, I go back and forth. I'm not sure, I've been doing this shit for 32 something years. Um, I haven't gotten enlightened yet, but what I have experienced is just a tremendous increase uh, in happiness and well-being and, uh, and a tremendous decrease in suffering. Uh, I certainly haven't perfected any of this shit yet, but it's worked so well in my own direct experience that uh, you know, it's just easy to, to know that like, if it works for me and it's been my recovery program, um, it's been what I've been doing, uh, I know it works. Is it work a hundred percent? I don't know. Some sometimes I think like maybe, maybe enlightenment is a myth. I'm not sure, but it doesn't. To me, it doesn't even matter. What I know is that, uh, and I, I don't mind that perspective of progress, not perfection. You no, know, we do. You're you know, this question, Dylan, is coming from a a good place. That Buddhism is a perfection uh, model. It says you can become perfectly enlightened. Uh, I what? just I'm, I'm not sure. What I do know is that um, 30 years in, you can lose almost everything. You can have your heart broken, your, uh, your uh, character assassinated. You can lose your businesses and your uh, reputation and you can stay sober. <laughs> And you can uh, continue to practice forgiveness and compassion and still experience a a level of joy and equanimity that without these practices um, wouldn't be available. You know, so my direct experience is, is that. Hope that's helpful. I know it's not a full answer. Jack, go ahead and unmute yourself and jump in.
2: Hi, Um, thank you for the meditation and for the talk and all. Um, I am relatively new to refuge recovery and I'm having trouble with the idea of, this is only sort of tangentially re- related, but I'm having trouble with the idea of um, your, of intentions being kind of like more important or the driving force behind karma as opposed to um, your impact? Because I guess I'm kind of thinking about, you know, like, like I mean, basically that's it. What if you don't have negative intentions and you still cause harm?
1: You know, um, two, two, two pieces. One is, my, my sense is, Like in the forgiveness meditation, there is a a phrase that says, uh, please forgive me for having caused harm, whether it was intentional or unintentional. So that we're still accountable on some level, and of course wanna ask for forgiveness, even if it was unintentional, um, and take responsibility for the harm that we cause and not be, we don't wanna use that kind of karmic perspective of like, well, it wasn't my intention, so fuck you. (laughs) Right. Uh, we, we still can just land in that humility of of like, of course, unintentionally, we still cause harm sometimes. Um, whether or not we get a karmic, uh, uh, you know, deposit or a karmic withdrawal, uh, maybe it doesn't matter. I mean, you know, it doesn't matter because I, where refuge is coming from, where the where the Dharma is coming from is um, intentional or, or unintentional. Out of compassion, out of, you know, still uh, make amends, still uh, ask for forgiveness. If somebody says, hey, you offended me, don't, don't, you know, you want to get defensive and be like, well, my karma's clean, man, because it wasn't my intention. Just say, like, oh, I'm sorry I offended you. You know, <laughs> somebody uh, recently was, uh, having this question this conversation about intention versus impact and they're like you know if you're like walking down the hall and you step on somebody's foot on un- you know because unintentionally you don't you know and they say hey you hurt me you don't say well I w- it wasn't you know it wasn't my intention you just say oh I'm sorry I stepped on your foot like I don't know if that helps and and feel free to unmute again and say um because you are correct, the, the the core of our internal karma is based on what our intentions are. But I don't think we want to use that in order to not show up in communication and in community and relationship in a way that gets defensive about uh, it wasn't my intention. But our karma really truly is, is based on uh, what we're doing on purpose.
2: Yeah, that's helpful. I kind of think kind of what I'm taking from that is just like on an interpersonal level, it doesn't matter what the karmic output is basically, because, you know, and especially like as addicts, you know, like there's a lot of things that happened like very unintentionally that were still very damaging. And so interpersonally, it's not as important, I guess, as it is karmically like your intention.
1: Right, we're still going to make amends. Mm-hmm. Those things, yeah, yeah. Good, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, Karen, Chicago, uh, you can unmute yourself.
2: Yeah, um, I just had a brief comment. You know, in learning about karma, I think it's been challenging. But one definition I heard that helped me a lot is, is that karma is rather than a system of checks and balances is more of that it's the result of every moment that has come before this one in your personal life in your ancestral lineage in your society It is the result of all of those moments it's the culmination i just have found that very helpful like oh yeah that makes a lot of sense i can see where i where i was coming from with that from my family Etc. So I just thought I'd offer that.
1: Thank you. All right, well, maybe we can leave it there for tonight. Um, Again, if you haven't done your inventory, please do it for your own benefit and for the benefit of uh, everyone in your community and encourage each other to do it and support each other to do it. Um, and next week we'll continue I think or next month uh, we'll get a little bit more uh, into this inventory um, around the second second noble truth and um, and some investigation of what are the underlying causes and conditions uh, of that that led us to becoming addicts uh, and how that stuff, you know, continues, even when we uh, maintain abstinence, um, that this is stuff that has to continue to be tended to. And I'll leave it there for tonight.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Refuge Recovery Podcast. To learn more about our program of recovery and to connect with others on the Refuge Recovery path, visit our website, refugerecovery.org. Where you will find information, meditations, and links to both in person and online refuge recovery meetings. This podcast is brought to you by Refuge Recovery World Services, a nonprofit created to support our network of refuge recovery groups around the world. Thank you for listening.